How about the Psalm 1 kids, y'all? Wow. Great job, boys and girls. My goodness. And to all of you moms today, happy Mother's Day. And uh, wow, what a sweet day we've already had. Well, for those of you that have been with us at all this season, you know that our theme for um, the spring is reconcile, and we are studying the biblical teaching about reconciliation. Primarily, uh, the word has to do with our, us being reconciled to God. You remember, we've talked about this already, the word reconcile in the New Testament, the Greek word underneath the family of English words that's associated with reconciliation is actually taken from the accounting industry. So coins were exchanged and accounts were reconciled. That's where that word comes from. Uh, we have printed this booklet for you for this season. If you haven't gotten one of those, I'd encourage you to pick one up. And you'll find in it all types of information, some theological reflection, uh, and also some reflections on, on, on reconciliation, and then some reflections on the sermons as well. But Katie Hodges has written the theological reflection on reconciliation. And let me read to you a quote from this book, from her article. Katie has written, Biblical reconciliation starts with the divine initiative of God to reconcile the whole world back to himself. God chose to do this through Jesus' sacrificial reconciling death on the cross. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, our account with God is settled back to its proper balance. There's, the, there's that accounting imagery. Not by our work and merit, but by the grace and love of God in Christ. More often than not, in the New Testament, when you encounter the word reconcile or reconciliation, it has to do with our relationship with God and how God has initiated that work and he has reconciled us to himself. But we also know there's a human component to it, and that is to be reconciled to one another. And so we are studying that together as well. So this morning, I invite you to open your copy of the New Testament to 2 Corinthians 5. I've entitled this message today, Redirected by Faith. And if you'll look with me at verse 6, we're obviously in interrupting a long conversation here between Paul and the church at Corinth. And we'll pick up midstream here a little bit, but verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 5, Paul has written, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For if we live, for we live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or or bad. On April the 5th of 2021, Cindy and I went to Mike and Kay Steiger's house to watch the Baylor men's basketball game as Baylor was playing Gonzaga for the national championship. Gonzaga was undefeated and ranked number one in the nation, but somebody forgot to tell Baylor that. And the Baylor boys routed Gonzaga 86 to 70, a dramatic win, quite an accomplishment for Baylor. As a Baylor regent, um, I was given one of these national championship rings. Pretty awesome, actually. And uh, 
Somebody asked me, why did you get one? I said, I left it all on the court, seriously. I'm a regent. do a lot of work behind the scenes to make it possible for this kind of, anyway, whatever. But I got one as it is. Um, here's what's interesting. That very night, Baylor was playing. There was a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. <coughs> Excuse me. His name is John Onwacha, let's see, John Owuchikwa. And um, he's from Nigeria. He's a Baylor grad. And he was watching the game at home, and he was in a group text with his friends. And he would send a text to his friends and his friends would respond and say, what are you doing? Because what he discovered was his feed was lagging behind what was happening in real time. And so his buddies kept saying, what game are you watching? This has already happened. And so finally he realized I'm lagging behind. Well, he thought about logging out and getting back in, but he decided he just wanted to continue watching. And as the game were on, it got worse. And what was fascinating was the announcer's voice was live in real time, but what was on his screen was lagging way behind. So in other words, he would say, he said he would hear the announcer saying, Baylor makes another great basket, and the Baylor boy was still dribbling the ball on his screen. He said, I actually started to enjoy it. He said, in fact, I trusted the announcer's voice. He said, I celebrated when he spoke regardless of what I was currently seeing. And he said this, and remarkably, he was always right. <laughs> I read that, and that just kind of stopped me. I trusted the announcer's voice in spite of what I was seeing on my screen. Hmm. I want y'all to let that sink in for just a minute for me and you as, as Christians. You know, Paul the Apostle was an amazing person. Um, he was given incredible insight from God and divine wisdom and inspired by the Spirit. In this text, 2 Corinthians 5, if you go back one page to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul says, the God of this age has blinded unbelievers. When you study Paul's writings, it's fascinating to me how often he uses the imagery of being able to see and not being able to see, of, of, of sight and blindness. Well, I shouldn't be surprised by that because y'all remember his story, right? He was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. And on the way to Damascus, he met Jesus. Y'all remember this story? And Jesus said to him, at that time he was still known as Saul. He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he responded to the Lord and he fell down in front of the Lord. And then Jesus gave him some words of, of, of instruction about what was hap about to happen to him. And then the Bible says that God struck Paul blind. So for the next few days, Paul was unable to physically see. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, but in Paul's life, the God of the universe blinded him temporarily physically so that he would be given the spiritual eyes to really see. So this imagery captured Paul's imagination. And once Paul was given the eyes to see, 
Well, then God gave him incredible perspective, insight, understanding about the gospel, about redemption, about the resurrection, about the return of Christ, about God's plan for the world. And Paul would go on and become this incredible minister, missionary, preacher, pastor, church planter, teacher, and he would travel across the known world. Well, in his obedience to God, Paul encountered a very challenging life. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, he tells you a little bit about it. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, talking about his body, to show the all-surpassing powers from God and not from us. And then he says this, here's what my life has been like since I decided to follow Jesus. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Here's this incredible minister of the gospel And Paul said, my life has been characterized by a good bit of suffering, not because of my sin, not because of my rebellion, but the exact opposite, because of my obedience. I've been persecuted. And he gives this litany of things that have occurred to him. That's not the only place he does it. But I want you to notice the insight God gave him. Look at verse 16 of chapter four. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, though, we're being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes on what, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's Paul's way of saying, I've learned to trust the announcer's voice in spite of what I'm seeing on my screen. I may be wasting away in your mind outwardly, but here's what you need to know. Inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. There's an eternal glory in my future. And Paul has received this incredible wisdom from God. And he says, so I have learned, verse 18, to not fix my eyes just on what I can see, but I've been given the ability and the faith to see beyond it. And Paul's whole life was redirected by faith. Well, let me pause and ask you, how about yours? Has your life been redirected by faith? Or do you still want to live by sight? Paul learned a valuable lesson in following the Lord. He said, I'm not gonna fix my eyes on what is seen. He says, in fact, I'm going to live by faith. So you come to verse six of chapter five and he gives us a summary of what he's learned. And he uses some interesting imagery. Notice verse six and then verse eight. At home, Paul talks about being at home, at home in my body, at home with the Lord, at home in this life, at home in the next one. Well, it's appropriate to, Think about that imagery today. It's Mother's Day. And I think about how moms so often make us feel at home. My mom had that. You know, it was my mom's desire if someone was in our home, she wanted them to feel at home. So with our family, mother learned. She knew stuff you liked, so she'd make sure it was there when you were there. She knew that some of us didn't like cream filling in our pecan log. Some of us did like cream filling 
in our pecan loft. So when she knew we were there, you'd have one little bowl and it would be marked with a little piece of paper. It would say with cream and then the other one would say without cream because they look the same on the outside. So she wanted you to know she's trying to make you feel at home. I love how moms do that. My wife is that way. Well, here's what Paul says. God is wanting you to fit and the imagery is at home, whether it's in the present or in the future. So let me just share really quickly the insights Paul gives us in this text. First of all, our future. What is our future? To be at home with the Lord. That's what Paul says. That's the imagery. Paul says, he says, in fact, I'd prefer to be at home with the Lord. But the picture that Paul paints for us and is taught consistently through the scripture is that Christians, when we die and this body dies, we are immediately at home with the Lord. You see, Christians don't die like everybody else. When we die, we are immediately at home with the Lord. I don't understand it completely, y'all. I, I can't just lay it out for you detail by detail. I've never died. And I'm not God. So I can't tell you definitively, definitively this is what happens. Here's what I know, though. I have enough material in the Bible to teach me that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know that. And so Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in the tomb. Is that what he said? That's where his body was headed. What did Jesus say? Today you'll be with me in paradise. In other words, be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's enough for us. I don't understand it completely, but I know that it's the truth. And so for you and I as Christians, this is our destiny. Our destiny is to live in this body, and once we die, we are then with the Lord, and we trust him with the rest of eternity. That's our future. But what about our present? We don't really live in the future, but the future gives us great comfort. That's why Christians grieve, but our grief is tinged with hope. There are many of you in this room, you've had to deal with death. You've had to face it. A husband or a wife or a child or a parent, a grandchild, somebody really close to you, grandparent, you, you've had to experience it. And as Christians, as sad as it is and as much grief as there is, it's still tinged with hope because we know our destiny. But what about our present? Well, our present is to be at home in this world. And here's what God's done for you. He's uniquely designed you, your body for this world so that you fit and you can be at home. So you can live your life at home in this world and your bodies are a blessing from God. They're temples of the Holy Spirit. They're to be used by you for God's glory. As a matter of fact, what is it that you're supposed to be doing here in the present? Well, Paul sums it up for us. He says, verse nine, here's our goal, please him. So that's your goal in this present life, please him. Here's the question, how do you do that? How do you please God? Well, Paul gives us some insight in verse seven. How do we live in this world? By faith. That's how. That's what the Bible teaches us about our life in this world. If we're gonna be at home in this world as Christians, we gotta live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do you know four times in the Bible, Habakkuk 2, verse 4, Romans 1, 17, Galatians 3, 11, Hebrews 10, 38, the Bible says the righteous will live by faith. 
And so all of us are called by God to live by faith. Paul says, verse 7, not by sight. Trust the announcer's voice. You lean into what God has revealed to you. Even if your screen is lagging behind some, you still have faith. You take steps of faith. Martin Luther King Jr. said that faith is like taking the first step without seeing the whole staircase. I shared that quote in the first service, and when the service was over, someone asked me, is the staircase going up or down? It doesn't matter. (laughs) You take the step, and you trust God with the next one, and then you take the next one. That's how it works. Why has God designed us to live by faith and not by sight? I don't know. I I can't give you the full definition and understanding of it all. I just know that's how he's how he's done it. He's chosen to call from us faith. Here's what I know about living by faith, though. It glorifies God. It just does. It demonstrates our trust in God. When you live by faith, there, even if the screen lags behind, there are plenty of examples of it. Gideon. Remember Gideon's story in the Old Testament? God calls Gideon mighty warrior, and he tells him, I'm going to use you to defeat the Midianites. And so Gideon gathers an army. Y'all remember this story? And 10,000 people show up, and God said, that's too many. Tell everybody that's afraid to go home. And a bunch of honest men went home. They were scared. God looked at the rest and said, that's still too many. Take them down to the, to the uh, watering hole and let them drink and then we'll, we'll choose from there. Then you're down to 300 and God said, now I can work with that. Can you imagine Gideon saying, Lord, have you counted the Midianites? But you know what it turns out? 300 plus God is enough. Who got the glory for that victory, God. When you live by faith, God gets the glory. It honors him, it demonstrates our trust in him. It's the only path to spiritual maturity there is. You can't grow spiritually if you live by sight, if everything's gotta always be explained to you. If you've gotta see the whole staircase, there's never any spiritual growth in our lives. When we live by faith, it helps make sense of the present. It offers us a glimpse of the future. Corey Tim Boom is famous for telling her perspective on this, living by faith. She said that she imagined her life and she's looking up and she sees this, this rug and she can see threads hanging down. She barely can detect a, a pattern and she realizes that from her perspective, she's looking at the underside of the rug. She says, sometimes in my life of faith, God will give me a glimpse of the future so I can understand the present and he'll lift me up and he'll give me just an opportunity to see the top side of the rug and see the beautiful tapestry that God is now weaving together with my life and others all around me. And then he drops me right back down in my life and gives me the encouragement to continue being faithful to him. That's a a great example to me of how it works. We live by faith, not by sight. We don't always see it all. Sometimes what's in front of us is lagging behind, but we trust the voice of the announcer. God is always right. And God has a future for us. And here's what I would tell you. It offers you an opportunity to live. It's an adventuresome life when you live by faith. It's not easy. It's challenging to somehow go because you know it's what God's leading you to do. You know, Moses, when he was called by God to deliver the Israelites, you know, he spoke that word. He went and spoke to Pharaoh on their behalf, you remember? And Pharaoh said, good job, Moses. I'm just gonna let everybody go. This is awesome. Great idea. I can't believe we kept these Jews all these many years. Pharaoh said, tell you what, we're going to quit giving y'all all your materials, but you're going to have to make more bricks. And when that happened, all of Moses' friends said, good job, Moses. You're a great leader. We would follow you anywhere. No, Moses tried to be obedient to God, and it got worse. He had to trust the announcer's voice because his screen was lagging way behind. 
But guess what? God had something incredible planned for Israel that Moses could have never imagined. It offers you an opportunity to live. Frank Lloyd Wright, great architect, he said he had to sometimes spend part of the winter with his uncle. And he said his uncle was really mean, straightforward, hard to deal with. He said one time it just snowed a lot and they had to go out and feed some of the animals on the farm where the uncle lived. And the uncle looked at Frank Lloyd Wright and said, now, go back to the house. Let's go, me and you. So they head back to the house. They get back to the house. They get to the porch and the snow is all out there on their property. And the, and the uncle said this to Frank Lloyd Wright. He said, I just want you to look at what just happened. He said, look way back there where we started and look at, look at my footprints. I went straight to this porch. Look at that. Went right straight to this porch. Look at your footprints. You went over there and you climbed on the fence. Then you went over there in the barn. Then you went over there and petted some of the goats. Then you went back and climbed the fence and you just kind of wandered around. Now here you are. He said, let that be a lesson to you. Frank Lloyd Wright said, it is. He thought to himself, I don't want to be like you. I want to live. Well, you know what? God wants you to live. And how do you do it? By faith. Is it easy? No. But man, what an adventure. When you see God's hand at work in your life and you're able to give him glory because of what he's accomplished in your life. Now, here's the question real quickly. Why does it matter what you do? I mean, tomorrow morning when you get up, what difference does it make on this earth or in eternity what you do? What difference does it make? Look, we're Baptists. We believe once saved, always saved, right? You're not going to lose your salvation Monday morning. So what difference does it make what you do? Turns out, it makes a really big difference. Did you, did you hear verse 10? Here's what else is in our future, y'all. We've got to give an account of how we've lived in this world. That's also in our future. Look at verse 10. Paul says, some of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Is that what it says? Some of us. Those who never discovered they were supposed to be at church on Wednesday night are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Those that always miss church visitation, those who didn't read their Bible every day, what does it say? All will appear before the what? Judgment seat of Christ. That's what the text says. Fascinating. Now here's what's interesting, y'all. In Greek, judgment seat is, translates one word in Greek, bema. The word bema, it just means elevated platform. In the Greek culture, it was used in an athletic event. Whenever the event was over, the winner would be brought to the elevated platform and celebrated. We still kind of do that, don't we, at the Olympics? You, you'll bring the winner to the elevated platform. It's called the bema in Greek. But in the Roman world, the Romans took that word, and that word became judgment seat. Pilate had a bema. When you read the New Testament, Matthew 27, verse 19, John 19, verse 13, Jesus was brought to the Bema, the Pilate's Bema. Herod had one, Acts 12, verse 21. Festus had one when Paul was brought before him, Acts 25, uh, three different places. And guess what? Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians. There was a Bema in Corinth. It's still there. I've got a photo of it. Let me show it to you. This is the Bema in Corinth. In fact, if you could read that little tablet, that little uh, metal tablet that's placed there on the rocks, it says Bema. Just above it was the Bema seat. 
Paul knew about that Bama seat. You know why? Because in Acts 18, verse 12, Paul was brought to that very spot. Gallio, who was the Roman government official in Corinth, listened to Paul's case at the Bema. The Bema was then taken by Paul, and he said, now guess what? There's another one, and it's in our future. And you know what it is? It's the judgment seat of Christ. Now let me real quickly explain this to make sure we all understand what Paul means. Paul is not talking about the great white throne judgment. That's Revelation 20. Here's what happens at the great white throne judgment. When, when, it, when this is all over, after Jesus has returned, consummation of God's kingdom, every single human being who has ever lived will be called before the great white throne. And at the great white throne judgment, everybody whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life will be given the gift of eternal life forever in glory with God and God's people. If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you will then be judged by God and you'll be cast into everlasting punishment, what you and I would call hell. That's the final judgment. It's for every single human being who has ever lived. It's the judgment of salvation. Those who trust Christ and follow the Lord, those who've been obedient to this gospel and those that the Lord called to himself under the old covenant, they will experience that gift. That's the great white throne judgment. This is the next judgment and it's only for Christians. So lost people will not go to the Bema, just believers. Believers will go to the Bema after the great white throne judgment. Are y'all still with me? This is not the judgment of your salvation, your sin. This is the judgment of your stewardship. Romans 14, verse 10, Paul talks about the judgment seat of Christ. Interesting, Paul mentions the Bema in Romans 14. He's in Corinth when he wrote Romans. And when he writes this letter to the church at Corinth, he mentions the Bema. He knows about the Bema in Corinth. He's been to it. But the Bema seat of Christ is not about our sin or our salvation. It's about our stewardship. So how's it going to work? Well, let me show you just real quickly. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul gives us some insight. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, Paul says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames." Paul says, here's your life as a Christian. You've received a foundation, Jesus Christ in your life. Now you're going to steward the rest of your life. And what you choose to do as a Christian one day will be judged at the Bema seat of Christ. And when you're living by faith, when you express that obedience to God, that will be reckoned on that day. And you'll be rewarded for it. The things that you choose to do in the flesh, the things you choose to do in your own way, the things you choose to do without faith, the times you choose to live by sight, that'll be like wood, hay, and stubble. It'll be burned up. So the question is, how's it going to go? Well, that all depends on how you and I live our everyday lives. So in other words, when you wake up on Monday morning and you start your life, what you need to remember is what you do actually has an impact in eternity. You're not just living your little old life. 
Your salvation in Christ is secure, but your stewardship in Christ one day will be judged. And there will be great rewards given. It'll be a great day of celebration. Don't you hope it's a great celebration when your name is called? Dennis Wiles, come to the Bama. Don't you hope that we all stand there and go, man, that was awesome. Praise God. We're also going to see some wood and stages, wood and stubble and hay though, aren't we? Just going to be consumed because it just didn't count for anything. How sad is it? There are going to be some people, Paul says, that that's all they have. You got in, barely. Barely. You got in by the grace of Christ, but you missed out on all the rewards. It's, 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 it's a word about celebration and stewardship. It could be a great day of celebration or not. <laughs> you know, in this little booklet, Kurt Grice has written a word about it. Let me read you what Kurt has written. Paul, he says, Paul warns each person to be careful how they build their house. We all have a wide variety of materials to choose from, and it's up to us to select the right ones. So you've got the chance to build your house, so to speak, in Christ. I encourage you to steward it well, unless you and I build our lives by faith. And let's see what happens. You know, one of my favorite quotes in the New Testament is found in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is that great hall of faith, obviously, where the writer talks about all these great people. Then he says this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. One of my favorite statements in the whole Bible. I've told Cindy, if I die before you, put that on my tombstone. Dennis Wiles, still living by faith when he died. Or you can put it like this, Dennis Wiles, fully alive when he died. Don't you want to live until you die? I plan on living until I die. And I plan on living by faith until my name is called. May it be so for all of us. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to serve you, to know you, and to live by faith. As challenging as it is, God, I pray for our people that we will be people of great faith. May it be so. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.